Hello and welcome to Unprofessional Engineering. My name is James. And you got Luke. Luke, today we are exploring how golf balls are made. And the fact that you are literally a scratch golfer, from basically what you've told me, I'm shocked we haven't talked about this before. I scratch myself while I golf, <laughs> is what you mean. Oh, that's very what, different. When, when you said you're a scratch golfer, that's yeah. what you meant. Oh, I used to be an okay golfer, you know, so I guess full disclosure, I used to be an okay golfer, like single digit handicap, probably like I single digit handicap. So for anyone who golfs, that's listening. I now golf like a handful of times a year. And so now I just get angry that I'm not as good as I used to be. So I don't want to diverge too much off uh -huh. of our topic. Explain a handicap to me because I saw that they say the typical golfer, like you, me, not professional, uh -huh. it's tough to be like you're around 18 is your handicap. And you were just saying that you were in like the high, like, like, like you were like, like a 10 or a seven 12, to nine, right? probably. Like, yeah. What does that mean that you have a handicap in golf? So. There's par, you know, par, right? Yeah. That's, Golf that's, courses that's are usually like... Exactly perfect. So if every if, yeah. it, if there was a three, a four, and a five, you got in in three, got in four, got in five, and you right. made par the entire round. Right. So it's usually about a 70 for a round of golf, like 70, 71 for 18 holes. Uh, and so if you're an 18, that usually means you're playing around bogey golf. So if it's a par four, you're probably going to get a five. If it's a par six, five, you're probably going to get a six. Uh, you might be a couple over that. I think it's actually something like 90% of however many you're over. Something like that is kind of what it comes down to. So when I was good, I was going somewhere around five to 10 or 12 over. On so you were, rounds. so like at a, at a 74, like you were, you were, play, you were hitting like 80. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere That's in there. So I hit like high seventies, low eighties. Yeah. I would do like seventies and eighties on, on nine. So I know we're, we're already way behind, but oh. when I very first started golfing, my dad took me and my brother out and we played three holes because, you know, I was little, little, right? Like elementary school, like young elementary school. I put up 123 on three holes. <laughs> and four sleeves of balls. Yeah, yeah, so many. My, I told my brother-in-law that story and he was like, I'm more impressed that your dad made you count your strokes on those three That's holes than anything. Father. Yeah, so, you know, it's a process. It's a learning process. All righty, let's do a little bit of history on golf balls first, because I think it's important to see where golf balls have come from and where they are now today. Fun fact, I'll let you do the history, which is a little change up, but fun fact for you, Luke, the game of golf goes back as far as 80 BC, I saw, when the Roman emperors played a game called Paganica? Paganica? Yep. I don't know. Using a bent stick to drive a soft ball. And the ball was about seven inches in diameter. Oh. I always thought it was like the Scots or somebody. That's what I had always been told. I that think came up officially with it. golf, it's the Scots, like okay. golf as the game. These dudes are just like hitting something with a stick yeah. and they're like, oh, that's kind of golf. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the history. Okay. Would so, um, so by all accounts, it's presumed that the earliest game of golf, so this isn't your weird 
you know, weird Roman stick ball. Roman thing. Yeah. Um, the earliest game of golf were played with wooden balls in the 14th century. So they'd literally yeah. carve a piece of wood. Um, oh, and, imagine losing your golf ball. Oh, oh, think how mad you'd be. You spend like all weekend making it and shaping it. And then, right? what if, and then if, what if it cracks? I imagine right? like the species of wood was probably a big thing. Um, so, so that happened uh, in the 14th century. So from 1486 through 1683, um, the Scots used hairy balls. They were called... <laughs> <laughs> this, is one of the, this is going to be one of those show. episodes where you laugh every time you say the word <laughs> balls. Uh, so they had hairy balls or hairy golf balls. And these were hand-sewn round leather balls that they would fill with cow's hair or straw. And the reason why they were filled with hair was you could pack it in really tightly and it would get harder and harder the more you packed in the hair or they would use straw and sometimes uh, they would use straw sometimes to fill these golf balls. Is, um, is this the same as what they called the feathery? No, no, no. This oh, is, is that this, different? This oh, is pre see, I didn't see the hairy balls. That's yeah. good. No, no, no. So in 16. 18 the feathery golf ball was introduced okay. and what they did was so think about like your down jacket you know how you can compress your down jacket i don't really make small. big money like you but eh, yeah you know so like down is very compressible so what you can do is you can take an enormous amount of down and you can squeeze it into that golf ball mm. and what happens is it gets denser and denser and compresses and compresses and it gets really really hard because you can always add another feather so they would use chicken feathers or goose down feathers uh, when they were making these feathery uh, golf balls. And these went literally all the way up until about 1848. So they had a pretty good run, uh, I, these golf balls that were just filled with feathers, essentially. I saw that these feather balls, which just doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, I mean, it does. But who thought that this was the best way to do it? I saw that they would make the leather real wet when they were putting it together. That way, when it would dry out, would the shrink. leather would shrink as well and compress it even further. That's a yeah. good idea. Very creative. Very, very creative. Uh, so then, uh, in 1848, Dr. Robert Adams Patterson invented the Guta Percha ball or Goody, Gutty, G-U-T-T-I-E. Yeah. Uh, the Gutty was made using dry sap from the Malaysian Sopapia tree, I think is how it's pronounced. No, it's like S O P. S A P O D I L L A Sapita tree. Sure. Uh, so it was essentially, it was a rubber tree essentially, and they would take this sap and they would heat it and form it into a sphere. Um, and this this was used um, for for quite a long time as well. So this was like pre, you know, commercialized rubber production that they were making these with. Uh, the challenge our episode with, on Dupont, I believe it was. Yeah, for that. And in the trick with the gutty, so all the balls before this were smooth. So the gutty, the way they would form this, they'd have like a really rudimentary mold that they would melt the the uh, the sap into mm -hmm. and to form the uh, the ball. What they found was they would always smooth the ball out. They'd they would always sand off all the edges and burrs and stuff like that. What Smart. they found was the ones that they didn't smooth out and make them spherical, they would fly better and straighter because there was a pattern on the outside of it. So this was the beginning of the dimples, essentially. Um, 
So this went all the way up until about 1898. And this is where kind of where golf balls are today, essentially. Now, there's been a ton of progress since 1898 on like the materials and technology. Jeez, I'd hope but, so. uh, but essentially, uh, the rubber core golf ball uh, or the Haskell was 1898. Corbin Haskell uh, made the discovery while he was uh, awaiting Bertram work on the bf goodrich company um what they were doing was they were winding rubber thread around a center core so you know if you like you like old and it, up until a while ago if you would cut a yeah. um a golf ball in half rubber bands would just fly everywhere i remember essentially doing a that hard rubber core yeah rubber winding around it now they're solid cores for the mm -hmm. most part um but that's essentially um what they have now and then they would have a hard plastic um, cover with the dimples to, you know, maintain flight. And I'll talk about aerodynamics a little bit later on, but that's essentially a quick history of where we are today. Now there's obviously been a ton of advancements, you know, golf balls are ridiculous in price and the technology and the chemical compositions and the research and everything they do is, is pretty crazy now, which I think is what we're going to get into later, but just wanted to set the stage as they say to as where we say. are now. That was fantastic. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to call out, and mostly just because I had mentioned DuPont and the rubber side of things, it turns out in the 1980s, the DuPont company came up with an idea for the ball that was using thermoplastic resin, so a lot closer to what they're doing now, mm -hmm. and it was branded the Serlin. Um, and then like whatever I was stealing this off of, and this was weeks and weeks ago, right, was basically like this now made it so that the ball will not cut and it will be completely impervious. Let's be fair. You give me enough time in, and a hacksaw. Yeah, impervious is is nowhere near what these are. And one hit from me after it then hits a couple trees, a few cart paths, and maybe a person or two, like they're going to be scuffed up. Don't you worry. Now they actually still use Serlin for the coatings of, yeah. a, of a number of golf balls. Most of them nowadays are urethane. We can talk about the differences in the two, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's where we're at. Very cool. So before we get into how they're made today and some of this more modern technology, let's time. say, it's time for a word from our sponsor. I have to assume Titleist, Callaway, Right. Well, uh, fun, fun fact for you. I actually reached out to no. a company on this one and it was someone that was like totally unrelated to marketing. I just couldn't find the marketing contact and they're like, oh, cool. Send something over. But I never, never heard anything else. Yeah. So that's that's fine. Um, that was really nice of that person to get back to me. So thank you for that. But we do have a shout out, which is really nice. Who do we got? We have Magdalena H. Nice. I'm 14 from England, UK, in case we had to clarify that. I am writing to yourselves because I watched your episode called What is Chemical Engineering? Watch. As a person who aspires... I know, like probably one of our three YouTube goes YouTube. Right? No doubt. So as a person who aspires to be a chemical engineer in the Formula One industry within the next 10 years, I also... I also would love to gain a PhD in the field that I've always aspired to have which is chemistry. I would love to get your advice on how I can accomplish this. What are three subjects you would recommend I do at A-levels in college, 16-18, if I want to become a chemical engineer in the Formula One industry? So I had to Google what A-level classes is. It seems like they're AP classes yes. in America. Uh, and from the list that I saw, 
Um, I think I'd have, and I, I think I emailed back. This was a long time ago. Uh, I'd say like chemistry, physics, and math would probably be my go-tos. Uh, though you're like 14, so you could diversify and go in a different direction. I get that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you go in a different direction. I wanted to be computer engineering when I got to college, and one class later, I realized that that wasn't a good idea. So maybe you take this advanced chemistry class, and you're like, ooh, turns out chemistry is the worst, which it's up there. It's not electrical, but it's bad. Um, but also, I think it's a good thing for you to take those ones because you're going to retake that stuff in college or you're going to test out of it. Yeah. If you test out of it, hooray, good for you. If you take it again, it's a good grade. Yeah, you're going to bump your little GPA up there and that's going to help quite a bit. I did that with calculus. It was wonderful. Um, so yeah, that, that's my thought on it. Anything on your side there? Luke? Uh, I would consider if you could maybe do some summer courses. I know here in Ooh, the U.S. Yuck. you could do some summer courses. Like, I would maybe do, like... You like, did a lot of those, but that was uh, a different reason, I, right? It's because I didn't pass <laughs> my regular courses. But I would definitely check out, like, a summer camp or a summer course that's, like, involved in that industry. Because I, I think what happens, like you just said, you think you want to do this thing, you think you want to... And then you realize, you know what, I'm just going to be a mechanical engineer because, like, this, this, this specialty of computer science or chemistry or physics is just, like, too much so I, I before you make that commitment with your a levels i'd see if you can you know maybe do some job shadowing maybe if you can do like a summer camp or something like that that's in that industry like my daughter thought she exact thing so back when she was like 10 a lot younger but still she did like a uh, a girls in stem and steam camp yeah and the focus was chemistry and she realized, you know what? I do not want to do chemistry at the end of two weeks. So, yeah. Uh, if you get the chance to get some exposure, do that because you'd hate to make that commitment. And then you're like, ugh, like I, I, I put these yeah. A levels in and now I got to kind of back up a little bit. So, yeah, I think that's very fair. Uh, I love that we have a, what, 14 year old writing in like, not only do I want my PhD in chem eng, I want to work in Formula One. I was 14. I think I was still like fireman or policeman or <laughs> drinking playing, in the woods. I, was I don't know. Super Mario Brothers. And <laughs> I, yeah, I think I wanted to be a fireman. I think you're right. Yeah, good for you. Well, if yes. any of you want to write in and tell us what your hopes and dreams are, maybe your dreams that have been dashed like mine, anything like that. Um, you know, just tell us how great we are, that you missed us in our little hiatus, anything. Go ahead and email us at unprofessionalengineering at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, like, share. We love the reviews. And as always, you can tell your smart devices to play the Unprofessional Engineering Podcast anytime. Love those smart devices. All right, moving on to how the golf ball is made. How they made. Do you want me to talk about this? Yeah, I have my oral my oral description, but I feel okay. like I can just add in some some commentary. Okay, so I watched a super cool video. Um, it was about making the TP five tailor made golf may have ball. Seen some of that myself. Yeah, it was really helpful. Um, they actually were watching walking through kind of like a small batch of like how they test the materials to then decide if that's going to be the next new great thing that they mm -hmm. put out there. But it's the same general process that they make for their mass produced golf balls as well. So super cool thing. Go check it out on the YouTubes if you want to quit listening to me, but we're much funnier and better looking. Way, so way there's funnier. all that um, for, for our three watchers. We're better looking as well. Uh, so they said that they do a lot of research around like obviously like materials research, but also field research, uh, not only on what 
like what's making it perform, but also um, like what the tour pros need versus what normal, terrible golfers need from their golf balls. Yeah. Turns out they're very different things. Vastly different. So like from what I understand, like a tour ball for a pro is unforgiving. Like you got to hit it right. And you got to hit in the sweet spot like every time and the ball will do what you want it to do. And then they make these other balls for like goofballs like you and I, who sometimes you shank, sometimes you hook, sometimes you slice, sometimes you miss all together. And they're very forgiving just because of the way they make them, the compositions, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So like when you get out there, even like you'll hit a ball well or you're not hit it well. And you can tell like this ball gives me a lot more spin around the green or this one's going to give me more distance, but even just the feel of it, you can feel some, and it feels like you're hitting a rock regardless of how well you Mm -hmm. hit it. And then some are so soft and nice, but you know, those are the ones that I also blast the cover off of. Um, So after they're doing all of this field research, the first step uh, from there is developing the core of the golf ball. And the core of the ball is actually what determines the amount of spin that your ball has, which I wasn't you know, familiar with or aware of, and depending on the, so depending on the shot, and it's also going to have a lot to do with the feel of the golf ball. I was just saying some of them feel like a rock. That's a lot to do with not only the cover of the ball, but also that core that they're using inside. Um, I thought it was the cover that gives you that feel, um, given that some of them, like if you look at like a pro V one or these TP fives or TP five X's, like you can feel it and you can kind of like run your thumbnail through the cover of the ball and actually scratch it up if you push it hard enough. Hmm. Um, so that's great. Um, good stuff there. That said three or four piece golf balls typically have like a medium compression, uh, which is something that we'll talk about here in a, a little bit about, you know, kind of how hard you have to hit the golf ball to make it spring off the club face and then, or rocket off the club face, as my dad likes to say, that's his favorite phrase. And then they build up their layers to increase the velocity. So this type of ball, which is providing greater velocity also generates more spin, which could be bad or unwanted. So in the video that I was watching, the dude talked about making the TP5 where they start with a soft core of 16 compression. And now golf balls kind of finish in the like 80 to 100 range, depending on like women's, men's, seniors, pros, that sort of stuff. Um, But that starting core is a 16 compression, which is considered to be super, super soft for this TP5, which is a nice golf ball. So to do this, they use a material called, uh, here we go. Go ahead polybutadine. Nailed that's it. okay. Yeah. That's easy. Which is a synthetic rubber, just like you were talking about, which is for high resistance. That's why they're using it. High resistance to wear and can be commonly found in things like tires as well. Uh, fun fact on that, I literally paused the video at that point during the research because I remembered I needed to order golf gloves for my left hand. So again, I tell you, I never golf. Plus, when I do golf, I hold the club so poorly that my left hand blisters or my right hand blisters all the time. So I now have matching gloves on both sides because, you know, years of avoiding manual labor has made it so I have these soft baby hands. You do have very soft hands. Yeah. So anywho, um, there's that. So anyways, back to the ball. Do you have something you want to add in here? So I, are, are you done with the center? Because I want to give a little bit of sp- stuff on the center stuff on the core. Um, I'll, I'll, I have a little more, but go for it. 
Okay, so the way I heard it described, it may have been the same video. Imagine like a, a cake batter mixture. So they take all oh, these. So it, it's it's not a single piece. Of, it's not a single material they're adding. They're adding in different compounds and yeah. different things to get the exact recipe they want. So all these raw materials essentially go into these giant steel rollers. And yep. what they do is they just fold it and fold it and fold it. And what they're doing is they're trying to get this really homogeneous mixture where all of the individual raw materials are evenly distributed. And I never knew this, but they start out as sheets. Like it's a giant yep. sheet of like this kind of flimsy rubber before like the next process has happened. So, so once they have these sheets, they go into a climate controlled place to get out any moisture um and then they go to the next step where they make the preforms and do some other things but i just want to talk about the the cake mixing for a second yeah no that cake mixing super crucial they like put in different little pellets they'll add different colors if i remember correctly i think the coloring of the core was really only for their benefit to be able to tell like this is a batch for this type of golf ball versus for another type of golf ball but you're exactly right they make this cake batter they smash it all up in those big wheels spinning around, right? It's these nice sheets. And what they come out with is a material that gives a different compression. So typically a, a woman's golf ball or a senior's golf ball is probably like back in the day, like when I started, it was like you had 80, 90 and 100. And like 80 was typically for slower swings. Um, so usually it was a female or senior player golf ball. 90 would be for you know, hack men playing that think they can hit a golf ball well. And then a hundred would be for like better golfers and pros, things like that. They have a whole different range. Like you could have a 92 compression now, which it's, is crazy. It's different, but, but still generally speaking, the higher the compression, the more force it is to re that's required to deform a golf ball. Now don't write in and tell me I'm sexist. It's just based off of swing velocity. If you can swing harder and compress a ball, you probably can do so better than me. By all means, I would say most it. people can probably swing a golf ball, golf club better than you. So. <laughs> probably they're very, very strong, and I am very weak with little, gentle baby hands. Um, so there's that. Um, there's so much info and research that you can do on compression alone. I started like kind of going down a rabbit, rabbit hole. A it's bit. really crazy. Yeah. Um, golf tip: the performance risk isn't from slower swingers under compressing the core of a firmer ball. It's from faster swingers over compressing the core of a softer golf ball. Oh. So if you're swinging slowly and you hit a hundred compression ball, not so bad. If you're swinging really hard and you're hitting an 80 compression ball, not so good. So that's kind of interesting. interesting. And even then, um, those aren't, there aren't any like absolutes here, right? Most faster swingers should probably avoid lower compression balls and some higher swing speeds and high spin players. Like the speed loss can be offset by lower spin properties, but those are just kind of like general rules that you kind of work by. So you said the rolling process, that's where they add the colors, things like that. When the rolling is done, the mixture is cut into chunks and it's placed into what kind of looks like a hydraulic press with golf ball core shaped molds. So they make preformed accordingly. Yeah. 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 They, they make preforms. They send it through an extruder and they cut these hot dog shaped rubber blanks. <laughs> hot dog shaped. They look like, it look like a purple hot dog. And yeah. essentially it's the exact amount of material. Like it's so specific that when they do the lower mold, they put the hot dog in, they bring the top mold in. And then whenever they put it in the press, it's like exactly perfect. No air gaps, no voids. It's very impressive. 
It also heats up that material yes, too when they're doing it. And that starts a reaction with the peroxide in the mix that they've put in there while they're mixing everything up there, which cures cures the core of the ball as well. Time and pressure. Time and pressure. I just realized I'm so sorry. It's time for our next break, Luke. This time for Luke's rant. Okay, so James and I were talking before the show and I was complaining about the amount of travel that I've been doing. Oh, so much. And I should be complaining about it. I know. So you know, I, I I apologize to our listeners for the lack of episode. I think it's been mostly me. Um, but if you're that person who when a plane lands and you're in the back of the plane <laughs> and you hurry up and you grab your backpack and you run down the aisle to stand there like right before the first class people. If you're that person, stop listening right now. I don't want you listening to this show. You don't deserve you don't. like you, you you're subhuman. You don't deserve to enjoy like these types of good things in life as the type of person that does that every and I haven't seen this all that I haven't traveled in a long time with COVID and all that but every single flight I've taken in the last two months and I've been doing a lot of it like way more than I ever have in my career every single time a plane lands I'm sitting in like 15 or 19 somewhere in the middle and two or three people literally like sprint down past everybody that's being a good corporate flying citizen and waiting their turn and they just stand there with their backpacks on and it's and, and they're saying like and then if you're like leaning into the aisle they're like oh excuse me i'm like where are you going so i'm gonna say something i've never said anything but if it happens on my next flight i'll tell you how it goes on our on our next episode i'm gonna say i'm sorry and i'm gonna do what people do in traffic you know how in traffic like the 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 tractor trailers will just block the lane so that yeah, no one can that's what it. you're gonna do i'm just gonna stand in my spot and leave a nice big open gap in front of me for that person who's trying to run down the lane and do everybody else in the plane a favor like you're so right i am it was in like the people's faces as they were passing like everybody's like what are they doing like and it's just like if you're that person i'm gonna say it again stop listening Air travel brings out the absolute worst in people. It is a nightmare. And, and I, I'm not going to say there was a commonality, but there was a bit of a commonality to the people trying to the rush off the doing plane. That. And, yeah. and, and I, I, I'm not going to say what that is. You can maybe read between the lines. They may have, they may have had some, some, something on their body that not everybody else was wearing. Um, maybe some PPE or something like that. But for some reason, they felt the need to rush off the plane. I'm sorry, I'll stop. I don't want to get us in trouble. Go ahead. Fantastic. All right. So after you smash these <sighs> things up, next, <laughs> you're so right about that. Oh, you add some more layers of different materials that impact the ball's performance. So for the TP5s in particular, they use a material layer that's like super flexible and resilient for very specific very secretish modulus of elasticity created specifically for this purpose to increase the speed of the core followed by yet another layer that you know they wrap it in called? what are they called mantles look at that luke you're like a pro golfer mm. 
I am. No? Okay. So this next layer is a little bit stiffer, but still very resilient, followed by a layer of HFM, which means nothing to me, but it is a resin with a high modulus that helps increase speed. And then lastly, the ball's wrapped in a cast urethane cover designed to increase the performance around the green. So Luke, the green's where you putt the ball, in case you don't know that. Okay, super quick. I'm going to add a little bit to that. Please do. In between every one of these processes. So you have the core. They take the core out, they deburr it and smooth it, but it's not perfectly spherical, even though it came out of a mold. Then they add one mantle, two mantles, in some cases, three mantles, because there's mm-hmm. actually five layer golf balls nowadays. Yeah. And um, each. Not process, a ton, though, right? Not a ton. Each okay. process they do, basically, it goes into a die and they pour in a liquid version of the mantle. It's they like injection it. molding. Exactly. They, they injection mold around it and they do that, you know, one, two, three times and they do the final one and the final one. The core and the core um, actually has the dimples built into it, and they pour in essentially the molten urethane, makes the perfect dimples, and then these balls come out. They're polished, they're deburred, they make sure there's no cosmetic defects that would affect the flight pattern of the balls, uh, and then finally it goes to printing, and then they're putting you know the title as the catalog. I didn't even mention that part. Uh, yeah. Whatever they actually, and but it's a high speed printing process. They it go into cool. the sleeves, and they go into the boxes. That they do. Um, I saw that they test them in this like sweet aerodynamics lab where they basically just shoot these suckers out at whatever speed it'll be coming off a club face and see how they then fly, like what impacts the performance and things like that. Mm -hmm. But fun fact for you and for everyone, Luke, a golf ball's trajectory is driven almost entirely by its dimple pattern. And it's theoretically possible to put any dimple pattern on a ball. Myself, I thought all golf balls had the same dimple pattern, maybe slightly different size or something, but it turns out most golf balls have between like 300 and 500 dimples per golf ball, which is kind of crazy. Okay. Now's where the unprofessional, this is where the engineering of unprofessional engineering is dropping in. Your CFD boy here, Luke, is going to drop some knowledge on you. So why do golf balls have dimples? Tell me. It's all about a laminar boundary layer, turbulence, separation, and the wake. So a smooth ball has a very, very thin separation layer. So as this ball is traveling through the air, there's a laminar boundary layer that's really, really close to the front face of that ball as it's traveling. And what happens is the wake starts sooner. So a a smooth ball has a really, really wide wake. There's a lot of turbulence, like all kinds of things can happen Mm -hmm. with the flight pattern. When you have a ball with dimples, what happens is that layer, that transitional layer and the separation and the the boundary layer that's occurring is much larger in front of the ball. It's disrupting all the air. It sweeps around the ball and the separation actually happens on the backside of the ball, not the front side of the ball. And there's a very thin wake in uh, behind the golf ball. So if you didn't have the golf, if you didn't have the dimples, balls would fly very erratically. Their, their flight paths would be, you know, it'd be very difficult to predict, but Mm -hmm. the smaller, uh, the, the later that separation can occur behind the ball and the smaller, the wake, the more predictable is the flight path of a golf ball. There you go. That was wonderful. Mm -hmm. I've seen some CFD analyses of, golf balls it's very cool to see how the dimple pattern can affect that wake behind it Mm -hmm. and whatnot very cool 
Uh, do you have anything boundary layers critical? Else, all I have is which golf balls to buy. Mm, so what do I got? I got. We talked about compression. You talked about that. Yes, I do have um, uh, some fun facts. Uh, the most expensive golf ball you can buy: Callaway Chrome Soft X. They're fifty-six dollars oh, the for nine of them. Uh, oh, for nine? Dang! Not not a dozen. For Oof, nine of them bad boys. Okay. That's um, uh, not fun at all, in yeah. fact. So golf was banned uh, in Scotland between uh, between 1457 um, and 1749. It was banned three different times during that time frame. Essentially, like, they didn't want people to, like, like there was, like, military exercises. The uh, kings were, like, bent out of shape about it. They preferred soccer or foot or football, whatever you want to call it versus golf for the, the land use, that sort of thing. Um, Tiger Woods had his first hole in one when he was 18 years old. Oh, I had um, mine when I was like 12. So take that tiger. Phil Mickelson. He's right-handed in real life. No, he's not. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine? I'm Googling opposite? this after this. You liar. You I dirty, hear a dirty I want to hear a couple liar. of yours. Um, well, no, no fun facts for you, but here oh. are the golf balls that oh, I have for you um, to be playing with. So you mentioned the Callaway Chrome Soft golf ball, um, the X you mentioned, but that's what was rated number one for people that are fairly decent golfers to be playing about 50 to 60 bucks a dozen. Um, the X is more expensive. Titleist Pro V1, of course, makes the list. That's at number two. They're somewhere around 50 to 75, depending on a dozen per dozen, depending where you're getting them. The TaylorMade TP5, which is what we were talking about, and the 5X, usually around 50 a dozen. Callaway Supersoft. Number five, I'm mentioning this. It was interesting. The Strixon Z-Star 8 golf ball is around 30 bucks a dozen. I can't believe a Strixon made this list. That's crazy. Vice Pro Plus is around 37 to 50 bucks a dozen, which the Vice is kind of a new golf ball on the scene. Really surprised that it's out there. They have all these wacky like colors and like splattered paints on the ball and stuff. It's real weird. Uh, Bridgestone next, TaylorMade, Titleist, Velocity, Wilson Zip. I've never seen, but maybe I'll have to give that a try. Uh, but those are the top 10 that I saw. But I will give a shout out to uh kirkland's the costco brand kirkland's one of my buddies plays these he hits the crap out of the ball and these... kirkland golf golf yeah. ball it's got to be it's got to be an off brand of someone else that they're allowing I, that's like to the, do, right? yeah it's probably somebody makes them and costco like slaps their name on it's like them. a wilson probably that yeah i don't know what kirkland they are on. real nice feel though they're very nice so those might be the best they're like 25 bucks a dozen those might be the best ball for the price nice. but what i saw as the best cheap golf ball for 2023 was the bridgestone e12 uh, for best overall contact and feel, $30 a dozen on Prime. So there you go. Couple Callaway Whirlbirds also, 18 a dozen. Couple more fun facts. The chances of making two holes in one in the same round is oh, one in 67 million. Um, a golfer by the name of Cassandra Coma did that twice. Uh, the longest putt verified by the Guinness Book of World Record. 395 feet. How, did, how, how is our green big enough to putt 395 feet? Some greens have like two holes on them, especially in like links kind of courses. Oh. So maybe they kind of went on the wrong side and nailed it. I don't interesting, know. Interesting. Interesting. Um, the uh, 
What is it? The, the name of a hole-in-one on a par five. Do you know it? A hole-in-one on a par five? Yeah. They have an albatross, but that's different. It's called the condor. The condor. I've is never heard on of a this. Par five, you get it in one. Well, that's not going to happen. So, I, 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 apparently, someone's done it, or else they wouldn't name it, right? Hmm, I suppose so. Uh, most expensive golf course is uh, for eighteen holes is five hundred dollars. Las Vegas's Shadow Pebble? Creek Golf Course. Oh, nice. So very nice. I have not played there. <laughs> I think I played a place that was upper two hundreds. It was far too nice for me. <laughs> if, if it's more than like 40 bucks back in the day when I golfed, I was like, I'm out of here. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. The places I normally play, that's definitely more along the lines of what I'm doing. Um, that's geez, all I got. I'm trying to think if I have anything else. Uh, I guess I did have my hole in one when I was 12, Luke, and it was like, oh, well, this is easy. Like, I wasn't even having a good round. I was like, it kind of saved my score. But I was like, this will be happening all the time. No problem. Never again in your I life. I mean, I've hit a flag here and there. I've put one, you know, a foot, a couple feet away here or there. Never really have come close ever again. Oh, but what a bummer. Probably never yeah. will. Uh, well, this has been great. I really enjoyed this. I think we I, could have I a knew, whole series I on golf. Like this one. I, I know. Thanks for throwing me a. We'll bone. have to do like drive. We'll have to do driver technology Ooh, and putters and like crazy yeah. golf rules. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely do a little golf series. I think. Excellent. All right. Well, hopefully you all enjoyed this and learned something. If you want to tell me about your favorite golf ball, if you want to talk, tell me about your hole in one story. If you want to tell Luke about your angry airplane stories, go ahead and email us at unprofessionalengineering at gmail.com. And until next time, see ya.